Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Pretty much everything is heading online and digital, so there's something very special about words and images on paper. Celebrate with us the joy of Rouleur's 100th edition, although you don't have to take it quite as far as editor Andy McGrath. And Ola Shenwi joins us to sing the praises of old-fashioned analogue pictures and some exciting news about Rouleur 101. What she got planned? You'll have to keep listening. This is Rouleur Conversations, brought to you by Lacquer, bicycle insurance powered by the community. Rouleur Edition 100 is on its way to subscribers now, with 100 memorable moments, Marcel Kittel's guide to sprinting, a fascinating profile of SRAM Canyon's Chloe Digert, and so much more. Rouleur editor Andy McGrath is delighted with how it turned out, perhaps a little too delighted. Yeah, I've got the mag right in front of me now and I feel a bit like a print publication pervert i keep touching it and smelling it and stroking it <laughs> it's just the whole thing really like that's actually one of the best things maybe about issue 100 is that there's not for me one standout feature they're all excellent features they're all super strong like normally frankly editorially in any issue i personally can probably pick out the one or two things that i know people will love whereas here there's stuff for everyone to love, uh, for different reasons. One of the things that stood out for me was the feature where uh, you gave some disposable cameras to world tour teams and just allowed them to take whatever pictures they wanted and send them back. And this, um, it's, it's a really interesting process, is it? Because we're so used to seeing every minute of riders' lives on Instagram. But this is very much less sort of shiny and edited, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, that was kind of the point. We wanted it to kind of have that hazy summer holiday feel because that is what disposable cameras are. For me, it's kind of my dad putting his finger slightly over the lens and taking photos in, like in Devon in the 90s. And it probably is for a lot of our readers too. It took a real amount of planning. But when I realised that it was going to be a fairly closed off Tour de France, I thought it was probably a kind of chance to indulge my wind on camera passion and try and get these teams involved and they were 
they were fantastic. They were all for it. They were on board. Just went down to Boots, bought, I think, uh, uh, eight or maybe 10 disposable cameras, sent it off, and they all sent it back after the finish in Paris. And we got so much great stuff, you know, four times what went in the magazine. I just think it's a really nice thing. It's fantastic they've engaged with it. And I know that Orla um, also wrote her column in Issue 100 about it. Yeah, Orla, because your column in Issue 100 is very much about um, the pictures, the pictures we have in our head, our, our memories. And, and, and this year in particular, it's, it's, it's been a weird collection of images, isn't it? What Andy was talking about there in terms of our association with disposable cameras, whenever... Andy and Ian told me that they were doing that with the Tour de France. It just sparked this this uh, this thought and took me down this sort of country lane of memory, really, that I just find really evocative and really quite romantic. And, and I find it interesting when you say, you know, we're so used to seeing every minute of every day of riders' lives on Instagram. The truth is we're not, of course. We have a tiny snapshot of what their day actually is presented in a way they want to present it to us to convey the message they want to convey. And I feel like that's very similar to how we watch an awful lot of bike racing from home, from our sofas. We see the polished image. We see great feats of athleticism as if they were supposed to be, you know, as if it was inevitable by the time whoever it is that's crossed the line with their hands in the air and we're watching it back already as a memory three seconds later. And we have this one camera angle usually that will stick in our mind as to what that win represented but actually I find that for a start if you're at a bike race you have so many different layers of visuals of that one little moment and it could be the back of somebody's um, hand as they raise their hand in the air in front of you trying to get a picture on their iPhone and it could be the smells of the chips behind you or it could be the little kid on the other side of the road behind the barriers with their eyes wide with excitement but all of that forms a visual of that moment for me but also So for me, I thought this year I was going to really lose out on all of that because I wasn't able to go into, you know, the 3D version of these events as they were happening, which to me is the real joy of of being a cycling journalist. And I thought being able to see this, this perfectly packaged version of cycling to me isn't my experience of cycling. But actually what I find is it was even more fascinating or maybe just fascinating in a different way because still your individual experience of how you're watching that race colors your perception of it. So it never actually is just that one image. It is the one image that is laid over or overlaid with with your experience of that day. So it could be for me, I was watching an awful lot of the bike racing from Eurosports headquarters just outside Amsterdam. And so it was always colored by the Dutch interpretation of the race, you know, and and it would be either me jumping in front of the, the television because Sam Bennett had won, or it would be one of the other guys with their heads in their hands because something hadn't gone quite right for one of their guys and and I just find that actually it was a realization that you don't have to be at a bike race to have your own individual memory and snapshot of that moment wherever you are as part of the fabric of cycling and part of the history and and every one of us watching from a different standpoint will have our own interpretation and isn't that the beauty of cycling really and and to be able to see then the rider's view, which is, again, totally different from what they're putting on Instagram. And it's totally different from what we see on television. And every medium allow, lends itself, I think, to different representations of the very same reality. And a digital, um, a digital camera even is very different to a disposable camera. And so I just love the fact that we're getting this, this again, a very different and very imperfect, which to me is beautiful, um, insight into 
the biggest bike race in the world. And it, yeah, it just led me down all of those little um, side streets, I think. This is the thing that the rawness, the honesty of the images is something that I really like. And the whole point is that it is imperfect. So mm-hmm. in issue 100, uh, you kind of have these pin sharp, incredible film black and white portraits from Tim Cohn, uh, kind of post-race shots uh, where we've kind of revisited the peloton. But that sits very close with these kind of grainy and dark images. Frankly, um, as well, there was one rider who shall remain nameless. But bear oh, in mind. Oh, come on. <laughs> now, we're working with like kind of millennials here, but this rider <laughs> from the whole Tour de France, bless him, thinking that he was taking photos, but he hadn't wound it on. So he oh. sent. Back, <laughs> I know. So he sent back a full. Camera of 26 shots, not a single photo taken. Andy, one of the other things that uh, really stood out for me in Issue 100 is your interview, or series of interviews, I think, with um, Chloe Digert, who is um, a really interesting personality, isn't she? Yeah, so I think it was already after Yorkshire 2019, The World, where I was like, I've got to know this person, I've got to do this interview because... Um, obviously she obliterated her time trial rivals I think she beat Van der Breggen with the largest uh, margin in world champs history and it got me thinking already like she's going to be the dominator of the women's scene if she can not get injured that's her problem that she keeps getting injured like as we've just seen uh, kind of a few months ago with that very dramatic crash at this year's world when frankly she would have won if she hadn't crashed so I wanted to go to Boise, where she's based in Western America. But of course, a pandemic meant that was impossible. So we just did it over four long FaceTime chats over three or four months. So I kind of got the change over time. But not that much was changing, you know. This is the thing with Chloe that I think I worked out, and it didn't all go in the article, that she raced for 59 minutes in the 2020 season compared to Van der Breggen racing, I think, 75 hours. 59 minutes? 59 minutes. So I think it's a track World Cup and up to the point of her crash in the road time trial champs. But but in those 59 minutes, she won two world titles. That's Chloe Diger. She's this very kind of fragile, incredibly talented, precious thing that if, like, if her body holds up, she is phenomenal, but it's a massive if. That really puts into sharp relief for me how big a move I think her her move over to the Women's World Tour is going to be next year. I had no idea her racing was so was so little, and that that's obviously circumstance as well. But that's going to be a, that's going to be a big change, really, isn't it? And the demands of the training and racing of the Women's World Tour is going to be very different. Absolutely, like um, her longtime manager in the US, Nicola Cranwell, was saying that she's going to need a bespoke schedule that it's going to be baby steps, that she can't, she cannot do a full, you know, Van der Breggen, full normal schedule in the World Tour. Mm. There's going to be problems that she thinks she won't be living in Europe, that it isn't the best thing for her. So it's going to be very interesting. But I think before that, uh, her aim is to recover for the Olympics because she's she'll be favourite for, for the time trial and the uh, track pursuit team pursuit and maybe even the road race who knows you know the other interesting thing that comes across in your article um and has obviously been borne out by more recent events uh, is that she kind of says whatever is in her mind and she's got herself into considerable trouble recently as a result of that hasn't she 
Yeah. So I, I just wanted to give the whole, this is the nice thing about Rula that I really feel that that interview gives the overview, the whole context of who she is, her upbringing, you know, a kind of conservative Christian uh, brought up in Indiana, obsessed with Michael Jackson <laughs> uh, and Barbie dolls, funnily enough, um, someone, someone with many contrasts and someone who isn't afraid to speak her opinion. So that was six months ago. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's a bit different now. I think she's um, apologised for her social media conduct. I suppose on one hand, she's a 23-year-old and I said some pretty and did some pretty stupid things when I was 23. So I think it's quite easy for people to forget. But on the other hand, I think it's a good thing that pro cycling is wising up to, well, to what um, is right, really, to what's correct. How do you think she's going to cope with that? Because she is someone who has traditionally spoken her mind and, and that now will not work because... She has to be held accountable and she has been held accountable by Canyon Tram, by Rafa. I guess unless what her what is in her mind fits with their narrative now, she will no longer be able to speak her mind. Do you think that will, the pressure of that, and she she probably will be asked about this at least after the first number of races, um, but it's something that's going to haunt, I think, the early part of her, the next step of her career. From From what you've learned from her, how do you think she will cope with that? I think it'll be... A fairly long process it's just very tricky isn't it because how can you be rehabilitated in the eyes of twitter or certain people like what can she do really kind of how can she show it like it's kind of very difficult to prove that something has changed um isn't it but i think when she gets on a bike she's still so incredibly focused and so competitive that there's a bit in the article where she talks to me about fearing she'll never be the best climber but when I tell her that Marianne Voss won three Giros, so with Chloe just having told me she thinks she'll never win the Giro, she just goes, oh, okay, then I'm going to do it. Fine, and I'll <laughs> win the Giro. Like, it's just as easy as that. Like, you just had to switch on that competitor side. And it's just like, that's the kind of exciting thing, that the potential is vast, but there's also this potential for, like, not just kind of physical damage, but damage she could do with words or her philosophy you know she I'm faithful that um she's going to be a good champion uh, kind of in the long-term future though it's really hard to be balanced but I'm seeing a lot of people really tearing down a 23 year old woman for her um opinions and part of me thinks like what's the outcome here like do you want her to never race a bike um again like do you want her to be kind of depressed it kind of goes both ways doesn't it I can People are completely entitled to their views on her actions, but we've also seen some champions going into really dark places because of public shame and public humiliation. Pantani, Vandenbroek, Jimenez, many others. So there's just that a little bit in, like in the back of my mind, but she has a good team around her, so I think it'll be okay. And you can read that profile of Chloe Digert, Aula's column on photographic memories, and so much more in Ruler Issue 100, available from ruler.cc now. Even better, take out a subscription while you're there. English and Italian editions are now available. And have a look at the amazing range of cycling-related products in the online store. This is Ruler Conversations, brought to you by LACA, bicycle insurance powered by the community. Lacquer's collective cover is made especially for cyclists for life on and off your bike. They've transformed traditional insurance to provide customers with a fairer, collective-driven approach to cycle insurance. 
say goodbye to fixed upfront premiums. Instead, your monthly contributions are based on the collective's claims that month. Your maximum monthly price is capped, but the savings are all yours. And they have some big news. LACA will be running its first ever crowdfunding campaign and offering equity for the pack. Cyclists have helped LACA bring a much better model of insurance to the masses. That's why they want to invite you to join the ride. They're pleased to be able to give Ruler listeners the opportunity to own a part of LACA. You can invest in the future of LACA from as little as £10 and become a huge part of their collective. To register and to find out more about LACA's crowdfunding campaign, head to LACA.co. When investing, your capital is at risk. This announcement is approved by Cedars. So Ruler 100 is done and published on to 101. And this is going to be a very different issue in the hands of guest editor Orla Shenwi. Yes, I'm guest editing issue 101, which is Ruler's first women's issue of the magazine, which I was approached about, gosh, Andy, how long ago was it now? It feels like a long time. By the time it hits the stands or the virtual stands, it will have been almost a year, I guess, in production. And that's for good reason. And it's also a huge credit to Andy, to Ian, to the whole team that they've wanted to invest so much time and energy into doing this and to getting it right and to making it something brilliant and to making it something celebratory and revelatory. Yeah, I'm very, very proud of this issue, even before it's finished. Just being able to, to bring something that's so different and so new and just a fresh, from my point of view anyway, a fresh look on cycling. So the, the brief was completely open. It was, you know, we want to do a woman's issue. What should we put in it? And for me, it was really important to, um, well, a number of things really. First of all, to tell stories that don't usually get told in cycling media. And I say cycling media, but mostly we mean men's cycling media because still all of media um, generally is still told mostly, sometimes exclusively, through a male voice, by a male voice. It's a male narrative. And so that becomes the established norm. And so we think of the male narrative as being the narrative. And as a woman, certainly in, in journalism, in writing, in broadcast, it's not always a narrative that that resonates with me. And, and it's not something that I feel you have to be hugely feminist about. And, and don't get me wrong, I do not believe for one second that feminism is an ugly word um, or a, a tainted or dirty word. But it's more that um, I feel that there's much more richness to life and there's much more complexity to life. And, and if we look at the world through female eyes, it's the same but different. And I find that really fascinating. And that's kind of what I wanted to do with this issue was to firstly explore issues that are relevant to women that aren't necessarily relevant to men, but to tell those stories as much as possible through the words and through the eyes of women. And I hope by doing that, that it is not um, in any way exclusive to women, you know, because our readership is mostly men. I would love to bring more women into sport in general and certainly into cycling. Um, And I'm hoping that this is a, this, this is a, I was going to say comfortable space. I don't mean comfortable, really. I mean more inspiring and welcoming space for women to be able to to read about. But it's not confrontational. It's not this is how it is for women and men just don't understand. I hope that men pick up this issue and learn something and they have their eyes opened and the curtains gently drawn back on the reality of what life is like for a woman. Because like I say, it's it's the same, but it's subtly and profoundly different. Um And I hope that we've managed to capture some of that. So can you give us some examples of the sort of thing you're talking about? 
Well, what um, I think is will be our lead feature was it was a really classic example of that. So I had a conversation with Lizzie Dignan, of course, the um, champion cyclist. She was number one in the world this year, former world champion. Um, Fran Miller, who had been the CEO of uh, Ineos, has been at Team Sky since its inception. She's recently, very recently moved off to Bellstaff, the fashion chain, which is also owned uh, by the Ineos group, but she's been instrumental to the success of the Sky Ineos team. And Monica Santini, um, the uh, chief executive of the Santini cycling clothing brand. And we sat down together for the most wonderful evening of conversation where we just shared our experiences in the sport and what it was to be a woman and and whether we thought it mattered and whether we thought it made a difference. And for each and every one of us, it did make a difference, mostly, mostly in a positive way, because cycling is still a very male world. Even women's cycling is still uh, mostly run by men and, um, I think traditionally women see the female attributes that they bring into the male world as being inferior, you know, compassion, kindness, sometimes more a sense of fun. And, and these are, I'm being reductive here, of course, every individual is completely different, but these are typically more features of women. We see them as being inferior. And actually, when you feel empowered enough to bring those to the male world, it really enriches it and really enhances it. Um, and so we talked about, you know, whether we've encountered sexism, um, what it is for myself and Lizzie and Monica, what it is to be a woman, uh, sorry, a mother in the cycling world. And Lizzie made some startling revelations. I'm not sure, Andy, whether I should be saying anything yet. And just where we are with women cycling. But I, I would just encourage anybody to read that piece because it is, it's, it's very subtly a woman's piece. I mean, it's not subtle at all. It's for women. You, you can't get away from that. And it's for women's experience. Um, but I feel like having the conversation, I felt even as a woman who's been in the sport for a long time, I haven't had enough of these conversations yet. And I felt a shared kinship with everyone that you don't get whenever you speak to men. So in a way, I'd almost urge our readers to have a to have a read of the article and see what they and I'd be fascinated to hear from male readers as to what they see as being the differences from having read that article, being a man in that world compared to being a woman in that world. But we also then explored things that were very specifically uh, related to females. So I did a feature on um, labial surgery and the rise of labial surgery, particularly amongst professional female cyclists, and I was really really shocked actually by the prevalence of labial issues in professional cycling um one specialist that I spoke to said that one in five professional and enduro cyclists will have some sort of labial discomfort labial swelling labial growth that needs to be addressed in some way and I just felt like here's an issue that we shy away from why because it talks about the vagina and we don't like to talk about vaginas Um, and I don't see why we shouldn't like be able to say that word and discuss the part of the anatomy that's very real to 50% of the population. And I feel there's an embarrassment about that. And so I wanted to write this article to to try to put it out there that it's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's it's very common. And yeah, I, I just feel like I had the freedom and the and the confidence to write that piece in a way that maybe I wouldn't have had. I would have had. I would have had, obviously, with Andy um, at the helm. He He gives me great freedom to write pieces and obviously wrote the Me Too piece last year. But it just felt like the right space to be to be writing about something like that. So there's a huge variety. There's a huge variety of, of um, articles in the piece. And not all written by women, I have to say. We do have some male writers in there as well. But most contributors are 
I think are actually women. So we do pass the Betchdale test, uh, which is again, really nice. Um, but this issue, it's a few weeks away from completing it. And it's so exciting. Issue 100 was already a step change for us. Like we've had a redesign, new paper. It looks fantastic. It reads fantastic. This issue is, I can't think of anything like it in the sports media. Like mm. I think we, maybe I'm biased, but I think we're going to raise awareness of certain things change the game a tiny bit that would be really nice but even if not I think it's an issue for us to be proud of and an issue to celebrate as well Andy I feel you know there's a lot of celebration in there as well Andy why now did you think it was time to do this (laughs) we've wasted 100 issues and we've probably (laughs) waited too long um frankly for example when I interview female pro cyclists I've normally found them to be more interesting engaging relatable the male pro cyclists uh, because they perhaps they have more life experience sometimes or perhaps there's less ego sometimes um, who knows I think with the whole women's issue it, it was just something that works on every level interest wise commercially we had all these great ideas and frankly I'm I'm kind of well aware that, that the entire cycling media does not cover women's cycling adequately mm. so so what I want with this issue is to not turn turn the tap on fully for a whole women's issue and then turn it off for issue 102. Like, for Rula, this should be the start of a kind of process where we cover women's cycling and women even more. And that was really important for me and my involvement with it because, because it's not just a token issue. It's not, you know, a box-ticking exercise. There we go, we've done it. We've given the girls something. The underrepresentation of women's cycling in the general cycling media is something that I that I find really quite sad to be honest still or at least increasingly unjustifiable you know whenever you watch a woman's race next to a men's race if we've got the world championships usually or if it's the women's edition of a men's race the women's race is usually at least as good as the men's and often it is better and this is not is women's cycling better than men's cycling who cares cycling is cycling great cycling is great cycling but the point is if you are competing in the women's peloton you're you're much less likely to have your victory or your um, surprising move or um, your your fascinating life story reported because you are a woman and I would really love if we just sort of saw it a bit more gender neutrally whereby we're looking at amazing racing and we're looking at amazing characters and, and we're doing our best to represent that and to open up the sport to as wide an audience as possible. Not just women cycling to a wider cycling audience, but cycling to a wider sporting audience, you know? And, and people will say, oh, when's the, men, when's the men's issue then? <laughs> when, I mean, just pick up any cycling magazine. There's your men's issue. You know, there'll be, there'll be one, maybe two articles at most on women's cycling. And I think it is important to mark a sea change, you know, not just to morph into it, not just to quietly segue into having more women cycling in the issue. I think it's very brave and um, unusual to be producing this issue as a, a a tide changer if you like and saying you know this is how we're going to move forward because as Andy says this isn't something that's done in other sports media it's not we don't have this conversation that I had with Monica and and Fran and Lizzie is not something I've read in other sports magazines and or generally other general magazines and and I really hope that the stories I know that the stories in the magazine will transcend beyond male cycling fans it will transcend beyond cycling you know it's relevant to sport it's relevant to life and 
And I think in general, as a society, we need to do better at telling women's stories. We're historically terrible at it. Terrible. And women's stories and women's viewpoint just gets lost in in all of the noise and how much richer our lives and our, our societies would be if we if we add to, you know, another layer of fabric to it and the, the tapestry of life becomes so much more beautiful. And I think that, that that's hopefully what this issue will do. Sounds like something really to look forward to in 2021, apart from uh, that. Um, 2021, it's still looking a bit unclear in terms of cycling, isn't it? We're not quite sure what to expect. Yeah, the team names like, keep changing and, and I'm not sure there's a tour down under. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a funny spring, isn't it? But I just hope they can get the bubbles kind of all sorted and, you know, some fans get some get some bike racing, safety permitting. Obviously, that's the important thing around the world. I think this season has been incredibly encouraging. Um, and, you know, we're hearing about spring classics without fans and different races without fans. Obviously, two and under been hugely amended. Um, other races being cancelled already. But we did manage to get not just any old cycling season out if you like um during a pandemic but to my mind one of the greatest cycling seasons ever I mean I I was so enthralled addicted captivated everything by the racing this year and I guess the importance of it you know because we were all looking for something we needed something outside of our daily gloom and outside of the the horrific news cycle that we're being fed constantly and I think that cycling did that you know it was a ray of it was really truly a ray of sunshine and I feel like we've we've managed to do that in the midst of a global pandemic with so much uncertainty, seemingly safely, you know, um, which is obviously the key. And that gives me an awful lot of hope for next season. Things may still be different to what we would hope. They may be different to what is even currently planned. But I, I feel like 2020 has at least given us confidence that 2021 can be at least as good. And if it is, if it is anywhere near as good as 2020 in terms of racing and excitement and the thrill of the, the narrative, then, we're, then we are in for a treat. And hopefully so, because the rest of the world isn't necessarily looking like it's going to be um, rosy and shiny as soon as we'd hope. So I'm hoping that we will still have uh, cycling to provide that escape. All the Shenwee and Andy McGrath looking forward to 2021. There's a ruler long reads along next week. Until then, thanks for listening. Whatever you're doing, have a safe Christmas and New Year. <laughs> <laughs>